Welcome to the Business Legends Podcast, where we interview business leaders and entrepreneurs so that you can learn from their mistakes, pump up your own inspiration, and grow your bottom line. I'm the host of the show, Reese Starlin, and I'm all by myself today. Christian left me, but it's okay. We're going to get through it. We are joined by a very special guest today, Miss Brittany Nicole Connor Savarda. Did I pronounce all that correctly? You have, <laughs> congratulations, you officially have the longest name of any of our podcasts, so I'm glad I got that right. Brittany here is the founder of Catalyst for Change LLC, an organization partnering with individuals and rapid growth businesses to develop their human capital through emotional tele- intelligence and effective communication strategies. Good morning, Brittany. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. Good just, morning. just Thank me, you. just me. You don't even get, you don't even get Christian. You know. The uh, my favorite thing about my introduction with you is that the only word that I stumbled over there was intelligence. So <laughs> that's that's pro- that's probably not uh, exactly uh, the the one that I wanted to get there. But um, yeah, thanks for for joining me and of course being very flexible. Um, we were supposed to record in the in the COVID times, but yeah. it's been it has been a very interesting last couple of months. But so tell me what uh, Callus for Changes in your own words outside of, you know, emotional intelligence and, and that type of thing. What, what types of stuff do you do on a day-to-day basis? So Catalyst for Change works with creating balance and resilience okay. in the lives of individuals. And specifically now with COVID-19, I've pivoted, yeah, I imagine. as we talked about earlier. And uh, so now I focus on working with entrepreneurs and executive leaders in the tech industries primarily, mm-hmm. but just really focusing on how do you have a balanced life? Because I think people feel like it's go, go, go. And they don't always, um, they're not always mindful of how that lifestyle impacts their overall well-being. Sure. So I apply emotional intelligence and communication strategies to help them have a more balanced and fulfilling life. It's it's one of the biggest things. Uh, one of the things, as our listeners know, we always kind of get get together for coffee beforehand and discuss some subjects. But one of the things for me particularly lately has been that a lot of our customers have my cell phone number. And so, you know, it might be 11 p.m. and I'll get a text like, hey, can you switch that ad around or something? And um, it's something that... I definitely learned my lesson the hard way, having having to find balance. Um, you know, the the fact being easily accessible is a great benefit to the customer, but a lot of times it's not a great benefit to the company that is doing providing the service for them because you know it, it takes them out of relaxation mode, and everybody needs to recharge. You know, exactly. you, you can't just go a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. So it, it's it's a very interesting thing. Um, you know, we're recording this podcast in a very interesting period in our country when we have um, all of this, all these peaceful protests going on. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement is, has really come up, and with the death of George Floyd, um, really opened our eyes to a lot of a lot of the racial injustices in the in the community and stuff. Your company being Catalyst for Change, I, I think it's just a perfect uh, you know pivot for you. Um, can you touch on you know discrimination in the workplace and what what types of things that um, you know as a young entrepreneur, let's say, let's position I don't know a twenty year old person that wants to sell widgets. It doesn't matter what the what the company is, but what what types of means and measures can they can they take in order to um, provide an inclusive environment and make sure that it's a, a welcoming environment for people of all races and religions? That's a really good question. And when I look at um, when I look at organizations today, I see so many people having um, diversity inclusion and outreach teams, and, and that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. 
unfortunately, a lot of that is very surface level. Sure. And you really have to embody these things. Like, you cannot teach someone how to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. You cannot teach someone how to uh, not be biased if they have this ingrained in them. Sure. So while we want to create this very diverse and inclusive environment, what we often have is diversity without the inclusion. Yeah. That's, right? that's a fantastic point. Um, you know, a lot of the more meaningful um, posts that I've seen, of course, given that I am on social media for like 10 hours a day, it seems like, and not all of it for work either. But, um, you know, you see all these videos and posts and whatever about systemic racism as, oppo as opposed to direct. You know, it, it's one thing, it's one thing to have hate in your heart for a certain, for a certain race or something like that. But there's, there's so many things that, you know, here we are as, as white people and we, uh, certain things that we'll never feel because we're not exactly. black people, you know? And, and one of the more powerful things that I've seen lately, I've seen this post shared many, many times. It's like, I can never understand, but I stand with you. You know, it's, it's a picture of a, of a white hand holding a black hand type of thing. And, um, there's just so many different, uh, things that go on in our culture that, whether we're aware of consciously or, you know, it's something that, um, that we want to fix, it, it just happens to be that circumstance. And your, your point is very well heard about you make, you make diversity efforts, but not inclusive efforts, you know? And it's like, um, you know, I think that by and large, a lot of people are, are very scared of people that exist outside of their own culture mm -hmm. too. And it's like, I mean, even down to like, let's say, I don't know, you're hiring somebody as an assistant or something like that. And you get in, I don't know, five different applications. It might be your nature to go with the person that's most similar to you just because you share the most cultural things in common with that person. Right. And, and that's the type of systemic things where, you know, we need to learn to look beyond that as an entire culture. You know, it's not you, it's not me. It's, it's an entire culture around this point. And um, a lot of these things continue to get inflamed. And um, I was having this conversation with my campaign manager just yesterday, and Protest is interesting because I've, I've always been more of a person of action. I've always thought that, you know, instead of, instead of just appearing somewhere, like, do something about it. You know, talk to your senators. Talk to, you know, create a movement. Create, you know, get signatures. Get, uh, you know, take action on these things. You know, create a, an organization that, uh, you know, creates inclusivity in the workplace and that type of thing. And yet, one thing that I've noticed personally in this last week particularly has been that, we're having conversations about it. We're even having a conversation about it right now. And that, that's the effect of protest. Exactly. That people they are, are there. action. Mm -hmm. They promote action. Yep. And, you it's know. It's almost like a billboard, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I've heard a lot of talk about with social media, people that are able to go out and film this stuff, mm -hmm. it's getting more exposure than traditional media because they're able to get it from an alternative perspective. Sure. Right. And I, I have seen a shift in people's mindsets because some things have come to light that some people maybe did ignore or just weren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So we are starting to see movement. But when it comes to the workplace, so going back to that and creating that inclusion in the workplace, I stress emotional intelligence. Right. Because part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness mm -hmm. and empathy. Sure. And in order to address our own biases, 
we have to be aware of those biases. And that can be very difficult sometimes because there's implicit bias and there's explicit bias. Mm -hmm. And the implicit bias are the ones that get in trouble because right. they fly under the radar. Yeah. We aren't conscious always that if we're walking down the street, right, and someone comes up to ask us directions, mm -hmm. are we going to have a different gut reaction if it is a black person versus a white person? Right. That is an implicit bias. Even if you're not quote-unquote racist, mm -hmm. even if you don't discriminate mindfully against a group and sure. believe in equal rights, you still may have that, like, hesitation, like, right. what's this person doing when they're approaching me? Yeah. Right? So we have to draw attention to that, and that's what emotional intelligence does. Yeah. And then empathy, the ability to see from their perspective. And so many people just put into action strategies but they, again, don't embody that understanding, that genuine compassion. That's what we have to start doing. Yeah. It, implicit bias, um, I, uh, you know, it's interesting. We have similar um, not only upbringings but uh, educational backgrounds and such. And I, I distinctly remember implicit bias not necessarily from a psychological perspective but more from a managerial perspective. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things that go into that too. Like, you know, in that example, you know, you have a person that walks up to you, asks for directions and stuff like that. And there's like a further level of self-awareness as in what are they doing before they get there? You know, let's, it, whether it's a white person, black person, or Asian person, or Hispanic person, doesn't right, matter. Doesn't but, matter, yeah. you know, if they're, let's say they come up from behind you, I'm going to jump, you know, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm going to yeah. jump if somebody taps me on the shoulder, you know, on the street. Or let's say, you know, they have, uh, you know, their, their hands in their pockets and it looks like they might be brandishing a weapon type of thing. You know, doesn't matter. White, black, doesn't matter what they are. Being aware of the fact that it's the situation and not the, the racial bias, um, that's something else to be aware of, too. You know, as, as we further promote this, uh, this inclusive environment, the diverse environments, I think it's really important to basically understand what is you know, what is a bias and what is, what is racist and what is situational too, you know? Um, it's a difficult thing. Um, I, I don't We're complicated. Think, yeah. I, I don't think there's any band-aid to it either. It's, it's something that has to happen from the ground up, so to speak. And I feel like our society, we are so conditioned to see things, and this is no pun intended, but we're conditioned to see things black or white with no gray. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world of gray. Mm -hmm. Things are not simple. There are not just two sides to every story, but millions, infinite sides yeah. to stories. And we have to be open to all these perspectives. But that takes energy. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of energy, and it can be draining. Yeah, for sure. So we have to just kind of slowly take it a little bite at a time. And instead of being so convicted on what we think is the truth, just saying, well, that could be the truth. Mm -hmm. But there could also be this. Right. And that's where open-mindedness comes in. We'll never know the full story of anything. We, we don't have that ability. But we can gather enough information that we have a, a pretty good idea. Yeah, a good understanding. Always, of, a good yeah. understanding. But then also say, but I'm always open to learn more. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's all it takes. You know, it, it's, it's like the effort. You know, I think, I think that people... A lot of people get very stuck in their ways, and they don't want to, A, accept criticism. You know, that's an overwhelming problem in, in every venue of life. But, you know, they also don't want to um, accept that things aren't perfect the way that they are, so to speak. Um, it's very interesting stuff. Um, I had a—so one of our campaign managers, Kat, 
she's awesome. She, uh, we, we actually met in the pool hall. And so it's kind of funny that, that you, you end up employing somebody that's in that environment because you're in a pool hall, you're drinking and having fun and you go from that environment to work. And so it's kind of like the, the reverse of everything you ever learn in school where you hire somebody, you know, that you've never known before. And one of the things about our culture is that, is the environment to where we can have fun and, and, um, you know, have different things. But that's another form of, of an ism, so to speak. So you have racism, but you have like sexism. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you, you have to learn what types of biases that you have within your own heart when you, when you deal with managing other people and stuff like that. And, um, one of the things that Kat and I were talking about is we met in the pool hall and we just feel, both of us feel as though if more people played pool recreationally, the the racism lines would really start to blur and and they wouldn't they wouldn't exist as much anymore and I'll tell you why the pool hall is filled is filled with you know the worst scoundrels and thieves that you'll ever meet in your life <laughs> and you'll have you'll have the you know the the most uh uppity white person and then you'll have the worst of white trash and then you'll have you know people of it's all a spectrum it's a the biggest spectrum I've ever seen for sure you know and it's just every walk of life and all these people are on teams together loving each other um, you know hating other teams and stuff but that that's like the spirit of competition similarly that's that's what I like about sports you know there's no there's no racial line it's a, it's a measure of performance and that that's something that um, you know I think that we can all look at objectively and and start right. to start to um, kind of blur those, those types of lines. So let, let's talk about, um, you know, an up-and-coming entrepreneur type of thing. And most entrepreneurs, I guess our whole lives, were taught that in order to be successful, we have to have a great work ethic. And if you want to start a business of your own, you got to work 120 hours a week, and you have to have no work-life balance whatsoever, and you have to do everything yourself and that type of stuff. What, how would you help them balance out of the gate? with trying to start something new, whatever it happened to be. Yeah, so it's, it's really different for everyone. Sure. And you have to find your comfort zone. But then you also have to look at all the elements in your life. Mm-hmm. So if you have a family and you want to ensure that your family is also taken care of, and when I say taken care of, not just financially, but emotionally, are you yeah. supporting their emotional needs, yeah. right? So you have to be aware of all of those things and what is important to you. Some people don't have families, so they're all into their career. So again, it's, there's no cookie cutter method here. Sure. But one thing that I have found is that I, I create this like blueprint and some people are visual. Mm-hmm. I like to write things down. That just helps me. But I write down every element of my life and what I want out of that. Sure. So when we talk about resilience, there's, I think it's four or five domains of resilience. So you have your family component, you have your emotional component, you have the financial side, and then you have the spiritual side. Now, when I say spiritual, that means your purpose, mm-hmm. your life purpose. And you have to make sure that all of these things are balanced. And the financial side could also be that business. Sure. Right? And some things are going to take more energy than others. And then some things are going to be super energy draining. So if you're getting the life drained out of you from your business and then you start to notice that you're falling flat on the spiritual side or the family side, then 
writing that down and seeing where that imbalance is and figuring out what's draining my energy. Because oftentimes we tolerate things that we don't need to tolerate. Sure. As you were talking about before, we were talking about always feeling like we need to be available. Mm -hmm. I set boundaries. So I let people know if you don't hear from me, if you email me, if you text me, if anything like that, and I don't reply to you, it's not personal, mm -hmm. but I have another commitment that I'm focused on. Yeah. And so you hyper-focus on what, on where your energy goes, basically. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, and, and that's the thing. I call it the will of willpower mm -hmm. and, or the well, sorry, the well the of willpower. Well of willpower. Yeah. Yeah. And so each time you have to dip into that well to take that energy out if you don't replenish it, what's going to happen? Yeah, it, it's it gonna, runs dry. It runs dry. So then you can find things that renew your energy. And again, that's different for everyone. Yeah. Some people, that's going to get a drink after work with their friends. Others, it's just meditating or yeah, listening to exercise, music. Exercise. Exercise. So that's where you have to say, where's my energy drainers and what's my energy renewers? And ensure that the energy renewers are not unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Like, Grabbing one drink or two drinks after work every now and then is yeah. totally fine. But if you're, like, downing a handle every day to cope. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. So I want to – I don't want anyone listening to think, oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's I, okay if I, you know, drink a fifth of Jack yeah, Daniels. Yeah, this, problem. Is, this is how I renew. Mm -hmm. um, we have to make sure that what we're doing are, is healthy yeah. for us. And – I'm not someone who can work till one in the morning mm -hmm. and I don't feel guilty about it. Right. And nobody starting a business should feel guilty. Mm -hmm. You need to know your own boundaries. It's so interesting that you, that you just mentioned that because I'm the exact opposite of you. Like if you want me to work until 2 a.m., no problem. Don't care. But, but I'll tell you what, if you want me to be somewhere at eight, it better be really important. Like <laughs> I, I, and that's one of the reasons we record at 1030 this podcast is because I, I don't know what it is. Um, my mom's the same way, so maybe it's genetic. I'm not sure. But it's like my, my brain, my conversational ability is, you may have even noticed it this morning because, you know, we met for coffee at 930. My, it's like my conversational ability doesn't even turn on until 10. And before that, I'm, you know, I, I struggle with my words and, and can't put sentences together and thoughts and stuff. So it's really interesting. Um, that, that was one of the not necessarily friction points, but it was one of the conversations that I had with with uh, my my ghost best friend, business partner Christian <laughs> over here. But um, we had, you know, he's a person that he doesn't necessarily like mornings, but he can work. He can start work at seven a.m. No problem. He did it for many years. You know, that's not me. Can't do it. Not in a million years. And it's it's one of those things where you, I had to set that boundary. So I learned that lesson the hard way. You know, he'd be calling me at seven thirty, and it kind of got to a head eventually and eventually I was like, what the hell are you calling me? You know, like, <laughs> and it, and it, it was one of those things where, you know, maybe that takes more out of my well of willpower, so to speak. But, um, yeah. so don't feel guilty for it. You yeah. know, I, I stop working unless there's something I'm truly like passionate about in the moment. You know, you get in those states of flow sure. where you look up and you're like, Oh my gosh, it's this time. Yeah. Now for me, that time is like 11 PM. I'm right. like, Oh sure. my gosh, it's 11 PM for you. It's probably three. Yeah. In the yeah morning. You're like whatever. You um, know. but Same I don't feel guilty for it. And I used to, mm -hmm. I, I listened to Gary V yeah. and you know, Gary V is all about the hustle, the hustle, the hustle. Sure. But he also tells people just because I hustle 
your hustle could be completely different. Mm -hmm. And I think as entrepreneurs, we're always comparing ourselves to other entrepreneurs. For sure. And we've got to get out of that mindset. And and just as human beings, we're always comparing because we live in a a society that is extremely uh, driven by competition. Mm -hmm. And our competition should be ourselves. Yeah. There's a lot of comparison. Yeah, you're dead on point with that. Do you think, uh, you know, as you're speaking particularly about Gary Vee, um, do you think there's almost this culture in entrepreneurship where there's this, it's almost like a work ethic expectation. And it's, it's almost, that, that might be what, what led you to these feelings of guilt for yourself where, you know, there's this, there's this expression of like, you know, you work until, until midnight and you get up at six and you have to, you can't sleep because you're an entrepreneur and you got to hustle and grind and, and that type of thing. Do, do you feel like there's a culture of that out there? I do. Yeah. I do think there's do a well. culture. I think it's kind of driven because the word hustle mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship are tied together. Sure. But I have spoken with so many well-known entrepreneurs that have successful businesses, but they do not see their life as being successful. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm truly passionate about working with these individuals specifically. Sure. Because you can have it all. Mm-hmm. You should not have to sacrifice your family, your friends. Um, you shouldn't have to reach burnout before you're like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, I, I've spoken with entrepreneurs who were making millions of dollars and contemplated suicide and some attempted suicide and they failed Mm -hmm. and that was the moment that was like something has to change and I don't want people to get to that point nobody should get to that point and everything takes time Mm -hmm. and in a society where we feel like everything is instant gratification we don't realize that overnight successes are not overnight right we've also got to get out of that mentality We have to work for it. And entrepreneurs naturally have that drive to work for things. But they're also, um, for the most part, I mean, they're human beings like anyone else. Mm -hmm. And, again, we go back to comparing ourselves. And 90% of people have low emotional intelligence. 90%. Yeah, I believe that. Which means that we lack self-awareness and we do not know how to regulate our emotions. Mm -hmm. And those two things are key just in life, but especially if you own a business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because if you're not self-aware, how are you going to effectively manage people? Yeah. How are you coming across to people? I'm sure you've worked for people who thought they were the, the best manager or CEO in the world, and their employees despised that. Oh, yeah. Or Everybody they were a joke. Yep. They were absolute joke, but yep. they thought they were awesome. Yep. That's low emotional intelligence because their perception of themselves is not an accurate perception of how other people view them. Right. And then whenever we're stressed out, if we have a bad day, I mean, we were talking earlier over coffee about how entrepreneurship is like a roller coaster and it truly is. Oh, yeah. In the exact same day, you can be at the top and then within a few hours, you can be at the bottom. Dead bottom. Yep. Dead bottom. Mm -hmm. It's like... It's almost like being bipolar in business. Yeah. It's, it really is. Yeah. Entrepreneurship very is scary. very bipolar. Um, you're, you're dead right about that, too. It's, and it's, that can play, even, even someone that's very mentally stable, it can play with you. Mm-hmm. It really can affect you. Because you take those losses and gains, 
as personal gains and personal losses. Yep. And then we tend to project that onto other people. Do you, do you think that's where it's derived from? Do you think that 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 might that might be the the connective point? Because um, you know, if you own your own business, you take you take the successes and failures of that business very personally. And you, I mean, it's unavoidable. You can't not, you know, because it's your business. It's, it's something that's created from your mind, so to speak. Do you, do you think that's the connectivity that, that makes it so difficult for entrepreneurs to basically have that emotional stability as they're going through those troughs and valleys, mountains and, you know, whatever? I, I think it definitely adds to that instability, but mm -hmm. we have to be able to detach. And we can detach. Sure. It's hard but we can detach. And I have learned over time, whenever these things happen, to step away. So I also do um, neuro-linguistic programming. Oh, cool. And one of those things is like detaching yourself from the situation and seeing it from like a second person perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so if this was happening to someone else, how would I advise them? on how to handle this. Right. And also everything is a learning experience. Yeah. And that can be a bitter pill to swallow too. If, if, you know, you take that, that third person point of view or whatever, um, you know, when you look in on the situation, I mean, I think probably the most relatable experience with that is like relationships. When people advise people in other relationships, like, Oh, well, I wouldn't tolerate this and that type of thing. You know, it can be a very bitter pill. It's a, it's a very tough, uh, growth period to go through for sure. It is. But it's also liberating. Yeah, that's once, very true. Once you can detach from that, mm -hmm. it is extremely liberating. There's things that have happened in the past couple months, and people are like, how are you going to manage that? I'm like, well, you know, I can't change it, mm -hmm. and it is what it is. So then I plan again. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let that be an energy drainer for me. Yeah. We get so focused on what went wrong that we don't think about, well, what are we going to do now? How can we correct for it? Yeah. We tend to dwell. Yep, absolutely. You know, I, I use I use that tool as a um, as a means of making decisions too. So sometimes when I when I find myself at a crossroads, as we often do, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I experience a, cro a single a crossroads every single day or something. But um, I, I often think to myself, it's like, okay, remove myself from the situation, remove all my emotions, which is difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, it's not not difficult, but you know, look at it from from a different point of view, you know, if my best friend or my parent or, or girlfriend or whatever, if, if they were in this circumstance, somebody that I deeply cared about, you know, what would, what would my advisement to them look like? And if you can take that advice, then chances are, because obviously these are the people that mean the most to you. These are the people that, you know, you absolutely have their best wishes in heart. And so when you, think about things as objectively as possible and you weigh the pros and the cons and you you think about how to make the correct decision I feel like oftentimes you come to the correct one you know right mm -hmm. and, and one thing that I think it's important to address too is how we deal with those emotions yeah because emotions get a bad rap mm -hmm. people are like well I'm not an emotional person no you're a human being right. you're emotional you're emotional it's you, the way you it have is. no the brain is in, you're a biology major, mm -hmm. so you know, brainstem, limbic system, then you go to the cortex, the rational brain. Right. You have to pass through the emotional part of the brain before you get to the rational brain. Yep. And we're, so we're all emotional. It's all about how do we handle those emotions? Mm -hmm. We should never suppress it. Yep. So we should never say, well, I'll deal with that later. I'm yep. going to look at it this way. 
because every emotion is a signal. It should tell us something. Yep. So every unpleasant emotion behind that emotion is an unmet need. So sure. if you're angry, that is fine to be angry. As long as you don't channel that anger in a toxic way that is going to negatively impact something else, sure. right? So deal with it. Why am I angry? Mm-hmm. And then find that need and then address that need. And then once you address that need, you can move past that. But if you never identify why you're upset, it just festers. It just festers yep. or it explodes. Right. Right. I used to have a boss who flipped desk and tables. I would come in. I didn't know what I was going to find. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, might have, might have a war zone. He would just, have, you it, know. it was, it was like a war zone, but then other people suppress it and you'll never hear anything about it. And then a lot of them I know are alcoholics because sure. that's how coping they make it's, yep. it's coping mechanisms. That is so unhealthy. So we should not look at emotions as something that is a weakness. Mm-hmm. We should not look at emotions as something that doesn't exist because we're all emotional. Right. And as entrepreneurs, it's extremely important to address those because oftentimes we take it out on either our employees or our family or ourselves. Sure. Right. It's you know as the as far as emotional intelligence and such is concerned, one of the one of the great revelations I had in my life personally was. Um, it was actually when I was consulting a friend. You know, a friend was really upset. He had just broken up with his girlfriend. And, um, you know, he he found himself at one of those emotional crossroads in life. And, he, you know, he's like, oh, did I overreact? And the situation's not important. But what, what does matter is that he's, he said, did I overreact? Or, you know, did I handle this appropriately? Or, um, you know, is this, did I make a mistake? And I said, well, first off, the important thing is that you're asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. The second thing, and this is where I, I kind of had like my own euphoria because I had my own, you know, applied it towards my own life type stuff. I said, the second thing is, in that moment, you were, you were truly yourself. So however you felt was an honest display of your emotions. You handled it, you handled it then and there. And a lot of times I think that we're trained, you know, if we feel a certain way about something, it's almost like the world around us trains us to not... Um, not be okay with with the way that we feel about things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the good emotions. I'm not talking about laughter and happiness and joy and things like that. I'm talking about things like jealousy, you know, things like um, things like envy, that type of stuff. And if we can channel those those emotions into something that that leads to production and healthy production at that, you know, not not slamming a fifth of Jack Daniels or something. I I don't know why I keep going back to slamming (laughs) a fifth of Jack Daniels. It's just my motif for the day, I guess. But, um, you know, if we can channel that into something, something positive for ourselves, that that's something that, you know, I think that we have a, we have a huge, um, opportunity at our hands, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm sorry. Christian wasn't here. He, he got held up doing Christian type things. God only (laughs) knows what what he gets into. So uh, let's say that, you know, we have a, we have an entrepreneur, we have a startup business, we have a business and they're really looking for some, some help uh, or even, even for a keynote uh, speak, because I know you do speaking engagements as well. Uh, How would they get a hold of you? Sure. So you can find me at the catalyst Four is the number four change.com. So that's T H E the catalyst number four change.com. And all of my information is there. I have a YouTube channel. Um, I just started a podcast myself oh, last awesome. week called yeah. Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence. And Sweet. I interview um, experts on emotional intelligence and change agents. And I have a book coming out in September, which Fan- I'm super excited about. Fantastic. That's the my birthday. EQ so, you know, I'm, I'm, not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that I need a copy or whatever, but, you know, definitely, I'll get one. <laughs> definitely. 
So it kind of helps address some of those issues. Cool. But one more thing I'd like to point out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and again, with biology, I'm sure you know this, but our thoughts create our reality mm -hmm. and it creates the hormones that are released, right? Yep. We have a feeling it releases these hormones. Well, a lot of these hormones can prevent us, like especially the toxic emotions that we have, prevent us from having that mental clarity that we need to be productive as mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, which is why it's even more important to For keep sure. our emotions in check. So I just want to throw that out there. No, too. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we could talk about this fraternity, but yeah. um, I've noticed that certain, you know, stress manifests itself in many different ways. Um, I mean, I, I distinctly remember, um, you know, I, I had a failing business at one point, um, and another huge period of stress in my life was, um, you know, I, my long-term girlfriend and I broke up and stuff, and it manifests itself in my body. And so you look mm -hmm. at you look at these photos. I'll show you later, but I'm not going to publicize them. But <laughs> you know, you look at these look at these photos, and and you can you can tell I don't look the same. You know, and and stress really manifests itself physically. Now, the the added bonus to that, by the way, is that you know, especially talking about when my long-term girlfriend and I broke up, having been through this, that, and the other. Um, you know, this period of stress, the thing that's hilarious about that is that I was eating better than I ever had. I was exercising more. I was sleeping the most. And, and you know, all the telltale signs of health were there, but it was the stress and the way that it manifested. So it's very interesting. Um, we always leave off with one, with one funny question. I don't really have a funny one for you today, uh -oh. but uh, <laughs> something I, I, I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on. Um, what, what do you think is the adequate amount of sleep for an entrepreneur in a given evening? I have to get at least six to eight hours. At least six to eight hours. So she's really saying eight, okay? <laughs> Very good. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.